Today at Reader's Corner, Shelby Van Pelt, author of the debut novel, Remarkably Bright Creatures. I'm Bob Custer. Welcome to Reader's Corner. My guest today is debut novelist Shelby Van Pelt, who has written the novel, Remarkably Bright Creatures. The book follows Tova Sullivan as she begins working the night shift at the Soul Bay Aquarium following the death of her husband. Tova becomes acquainted with temperamental Marcellus, a giant Pacific octopus living at the aquarium who knows more than you would think he could. Soon, Marcellus is not only befriending Tova, but helping her solve the mystery of her missing son, who disappeared more than 30 years earlier. Shelby Van Pelt's writing has appeared in LitHub, Prime Press, and elsewhere. Although Remarkably Bright Creatures is her first novel, you would never know it with such a heartwarming tale told with perfectly pitched prose, and it had me rooting for an octopus for the first time. Shelby Van Pelt, welcome to Reader's Corner. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Well, let's start with COVID. I think this is a COVID novel. And if I'm right about that, I think you mentioned something about that in your acknowledgments. Uh, Take us behind the scenes to the fall of 2020 when you say in those acknowledgments that you received an email that changed your life. Uh, So it's sort of half of a COVID novel. It's something that I had been working on on and off for years uh, prior to our our wonderful 2020 year and really picked up steam on it just kind of by coincidence in like the late fall into winter of 2019. And so I I had a a process, I had a critique partner, and I really was going um, full effort to finish my novel when COVID hit. And (laughs) If I hadn't had that momentum going, you know, I, I I so admire folks who got into the those first months of the pandemic and thought this is the time to start a novel. I don't know that I would have had the 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 mindset or the energy to do it, but thankfully I did have the energy to finish a novel <laughs> with the momentum that I had already kind of started building up. I, I think I probably drafted maybe about two thirds of it during those first few months of COVID. Um, you know, the last two thirds, having already written the the one, the first one third sure. previously. Um, and yeah, you know, it's funny. I can't think back on that era without simultaneously thinking of the, the stress of being in this pandemic, but also just the you know, exhilaration that I would feel sort of at night when, you know, my kids would be in bed, you know, my husband would be, re- you know, in bed for the night. And I kind of would have the house to myself for the first <laughs> time all day and could just lose myself in this story, which, you know, for me was also sort of a way of, of curing my homesickness at a time, you know, I was living in, in Illinois, but you know, home for me is, is Western Washington. And I was missing it a lot and not being able to visit at that time. So being able to, to sort of retreat into my, into my book was a balm at that time. Um, so yeah, so throughout those, those first months was kind of drafting, editing, uh, I decided in the fall of 2020 that I was going to query my novel to agents, just cold query it, kind of the old-fashioned way. You know, again, something that I don't know that I would have had felt the urgency to do had we not been in, you know, in these unprecedented times. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I got very lucky that right away I had interest from um, from one very 
very good agent who ended up becoming my agent and everything just sort of fell into place after that. It's been a little bit of a Cinderella story by publishing standards. Well, I tell you, I uh, your mention of curing your homesickness, that was abundantly clear to me. Again, I always read the acknowledgments first to learn something about the author I'm about uh, to read. And um, and I read about the fact that you were from the Pacific Northwest, Tacoma. And so uh, I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, oh, man, I lived in Chicago for a long time and I absolutely love Puget Sound and everything about it. And I can only imagine how this author is using this great opportunity to write a novel to connect with her home base. <laughs> That's exactly what uh, what you were doing. No, oh, it absolutely is what I was doing. Yeah. I, I believe I was supposed to spend about 10 days at home in early March of 2020, you know, at, at home in Washington. And right. of course that got canceled. So, uh, yeah, I was feeling it very acutely. <laughs> yeah. So you acknowledge in your, in your uh, remarks at the end of the book that you credit a writing workshop prompt about writing from an unexpected point of view as giving you the idea for the plot of this book. And again, we never give anything away here at Reader's Corner, but we're, but I'm going to have you tell about the characters and, and something about the plot, again, without giving it away. But this is certainly an unexpected point of view when you have an octopus uh, throughout this novel occasionally uh, having his own chapter where he gets to tell about himself and uh, – and about the people there at the aquarium. Um, is that what happened with this writing workshop prompt? <laughs> well, yes, sort of. Basically, yes. Marcellus the octopus was was my favorite character to write in this book. Uh, not only just because it's such an unusual, fun voice that he has, but also because he, he always had something to say, you know, and this is not not a spoiler at all, but, you know, as you read through the book, you kind of get these snippets from his point of view. And the idea was you would just get the sense of this creature that's very smart being very bored. <laughs> <laughs> and so whenever I had writer's block when I was writing, that was sort of my my go-to was just, let's see what Marcellus the octopus is up to today. What is he, you know, what's his hot take of the day? He always has something that he will have a view or an opinion on. Um, and you know, when I first came up with the idea for the character, I had just started writing fiction. You know, I'd, I've always loved writing, but I had never considered myself a particularly creative person. And, you know, fiction writing was something that I always kind of saw as maybe like out of my out of my range of abilities. I was much better at writing, you know, writing nonfiction, writing kind of journalism style, you know, writing papers was easy, but writing fiction seemed hard. And when I was kind of starting out on this journey, I, I think I, because I had had kind of like that journalism, you know, background a little bit from like, you know, being editor of my high school paper, not in any professional way. But I think I naturally started looking to the world around me for inspiration for characters. And I would, you know, sit in coffee shops or just be out in public and almost felt like I was just trying to mine the world around me for snippets of things that I could use to write fiction. And one of those snippets came via a YouTube video of a giant Pacific octopus who was an escape artist. And I remember just sort of filing that away at the time. You know, I, I was on the Internet wasting time doing activities that had literally nothing to do with writing. I don't remember what I was supposed <laughs> to be doing. Probably something productive, but got sucked down this, you know, YouTube algorithm about octopuses. 
And, you know, filed it away. I thought, well, that would be a fun character to write someday. And then when I was sitting in this class, it was actually the first fiction class of any kind I had ever taken. And it was, a, I think they call them continuing education. You know, it wasn't really anything fancy. It was kind of something that anyone can sign up for. And we got this prompt and to write from an unexpected point of view. And my mind just immediately went to this voice of a captive octopus who is very smart, very bored, uh, quite cranky, <laughs> and just has all of the time in the world on his, I don't want to say hands, <laughs> on his eight arms to observe and comment and and learn about the humans who are around him. You're listening to Shelby Van Pelt. She is the author of the novel, Remarkably Bright Creatures. Now, Marcellus talks to us in this novel uh, about himself and about his species. Um, You obviously had to do a little bit of homework on just uh, what that's all about. Uh, What is an octopus and uh, what are the the parameters? And maybe you could help us uh, with how you got that information. I think Simon Gumry had something to do with it. Uh, her book, The Soul of an Octopus, is one we read at Reader's Corner. I interviewed her years ago for that book. Um, I assume that's one place to go to learn a lot more about octopuses. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Soul of an Octopus is such an incredible book. And and Sai is such a gifted writer in being able to take this sort of scientific material you know, and make it into such an enthralling story about her experience where she sort of shadows these folks that work at aquariums and work with octopuses. Uh, reading that book actually is what sort of prompted me to really get serious about writing the novel. Um, you know, I had come up with the character many years before, but when I read Sai's book, it was kind of like seeing it for the first time again and and really having a new depth of appreciation for the relationships that cephalopods can make with humans and the the wide variety of things that they seem to uh, think and feel and express through their behaviors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely. I would, I always recommend that as sort of a companion book. If someone likes my book and they want to learn more, I think they will love the soul of an octopus. Yeah. I was just going to say early on when I was just sort of developing the character, like when I was in that workshop, you know, I, I did a lot of internet research but I also tried not to get too caught up in the details, if yeah. that makes sense, because it is very easy to get pulled right. into right back right. into the, the rabbit hole, yeah. and spend your whole day doing research and not not any time doing writing. <laughs> yeah, it winds up looking more like a book of science than a novel, which was your intention. Exactly. You, you know, you mentioned uh, people liking your book. Uh, I, I just want to say this so our listeners understand how strongly I feel about this book. After I read it, uh, not long thereafter, I found myself at the Sun Valley Writers Conference where there are assembled a collection of authors, the best in the nation. And I was at a reception and someone approached me to ask me the kinds of books that I read and then interviewed authors on at Reader's Corner. And um, I told this this, these two women that were asking this question, one of whom ran uh, a major website on books, that I had just read your book and and I recommended it. And they both just said, recommended it. We've already read it. It's a great book. What a great read. And they went on and on. So then I decided I'd, I'd spread the word among my friends. And I have a friend uh, out on uh, Whidbey Island 
and um, I, I decided I'd email Terry Woods and tell her about the book. She already read it. And it's it's like as I turned left and right trying to find folks to uh, pass along this great read, uh, they beat me to it, which says a lot. And by the way, I, when I picked up your book in Paulsbo, uh, Washington at the Liberty Bay Bookstore, uh, I picked it up because there was an octopus on the cover. I have to admit it. Anything that has an octopus on the cover is going to have me pick it up. And <laughs> I picked it up and the rest is 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 history. But I think it just goes to show um, how much your book, uh, especially as a debut novelist, because again, your your name is also what gets people to pick up a book. And when you're the first time novelist, that's not as easy to do. But in your case, uh, man, I mean, the word is spreading, and this book is is really connecting with folks. I think, uh, and that brings us to the to the plot itself, because this isn't just the story of an octopus. Uh, I thought you, one of your reviewers uh, said it best. It's a book about how loneliness can be transformed, cracked open with the slightest touch from another living thing. Uh, that says it all. And speaking of loneliness, uh, why don't you tell us about Tova, who has had two losses in her life, uh, one of which she just can't figure out. And it's based yeah, on your I mean, grandmother, I think, in part. Yeah, she was. Um, I think it's absolutely right that it's not actually a book about octopuses. <laughs> uh, and I always say that it's, you know, sometimes people know it as that octopus book, which is fantastic because it's such a memorable thing. Sure. But it really is a book about humans and human loneliness. And the Tova character, she is um, this woman in her 70s. She came from Sweden originally. She has that characteristic Scandinavian stoicism about her, very, very much based on my maternal grandmother, <laughs> who had a similar background. Uh, you know, all of the events in the book are completely fiction, but I took so much of my grandmother's character and put her into Tova. Uh, it's very hardworking, um, you know, in terms of positive qualities, let's say, very, very hardworking, very loving, very caring, very loyal. Um, at the same time, and, and I remember observing this in my grandmother, even when I was a kid, um, very difficult time dealing with emotions and particularly sharing of emotions and accepting help and being vulnerable, you know, in any kind of, of, of public way. And, you know, I knew that was something I wanted to explore because those are things that I struggle with too, even though, you know, I'm, I'm very different from Tova, completely different generation. Uh, very different life experiences. But, you know, I think that is something that a lot of people struggle with is, you know, being able to, you know, really make ourselves vulnerable to other people and develop like meaningful ties there, you know, particularly sort of in the, in the online and social media age where we have a lot of ties, but they're sort of more superficial yeah. <laughs> sometimes, you know, and I'm sure COVID just make, makes all of this a little bit worse. Like it just, made everything feel a little bit um, further apart or or more difficult to latch on to in terms of those real uh, connections that we make. You know, and in Tova's case in the book, it really does take her making that connection with an octopus first in order to tap in to the potential that she has to really open herself up and have 
a chance at, you know, kind of another, another era in her life rather than just sort of giving up, which is what she wants to do. Um, not in, not in the bleakest sense of that word, but just, you know, she kind of feels like, um, you know, she's, she's lonely. She's by herself. She has no one left. And that's just the way it's going to be. And I think her relationship with Marcellus, who, you know, ironically enough, he is like the most judgmental character in the whole book. And if you read just, if you were to flip through and just read his sections, you would see time after time, he is berating humans for being the inferior species and kind of poking fun at us for all of the bumbling things that we do. But through all of that judginess, he actually is the one character who sort of receives Toba without judgment. Uh, it receives her, you know, without trying to push solutions on her. And that kind of allows her to really crack open for the first time and and share some things about herself and start to examine some things about herself that maybe she could she could do better. I'm Bob Custer, host of Reader's Corner. Today I'm speaking with Shelby Van Pelt, author of the novel Remarkably Bright Creatures. The book is an exploration of friendship and hope that traces a widow's unlikely connection with a giant Pacific octopus. Let's talk about Cameron Casmore, Shelby. Um, <laughs> you know, not not all young people in this uh, challenging world we live in today have figured things out. And <laughs> one of the things that... I thought was so special about the character of of Cameron Casmore is that um, he probably represents a, a broad spectrum of young people in America today who are trying to find their way, trying to figure things out. You've done an excellent job of portraying that. Tell us, uh, well, again, without spoiling the plot, uh, what Cameron's all about. Well, Cameron was in some ways – the most challenging character to write simply because, I mean, he's a screw up. Like he just is, you know, particularly (laughs) at the beginning of the book, he does not have himself together. And when I, it's interesting, when I initially wrote that character, I envisioned him as a teenager. I think a couple um, kind of paths I went down when I was drafting, even had him being as young as maybe like 13 or 14 and as I got further along in the book, I realized something wasn't working with that. And it was because we expect a 13 or 14, you know, or even maybe a 17 or 18 year old to behave the way that Cameron is behaving, which is to say he just gets in his own way. He, you know, he's, he struggles. He's on the struggle bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then, you know, aging him up to be circa 30 really left me with the space to say, okay, here is this guy. And, you know, I have known many versions of not not just guys, but just people, uh, you know, friends that you've had where you just kind of want to shake them and say, you know, wake up and get yourself together. But that has to kind of come from within, you know, when we have those people in our lives, sort of no amount of of poking at them is going to make them realize the thing that they sort of have to realize themselves and come to the conclusion that they need to grow up and do better. So he was challenging to write to get that balance of, okay, I want this to feel familiar to people who have who have had that friend or have maybe in some cases been that person. I know that I probably have a little bit of me from my early 20s that went into Cameron, you know, not to some of the extremes that he has, but, you know, just some of that, the growing pains that we feel when we go from being, you know, a, a, an older teen or young adult to truly a fully functioning adult. 
Um, you know, and I, I really wanted him to be sort of self-deprecating and, you know, hopefully a little bit funny to sort of soften some of the uh, more frustrating aspects of his character. But, you know, I really grew to to be on his side the more that I wrote him and really wanted him to to get himself together and succeed. And, you know, my hope was that I could have readers come along with me mm-hmm. in that. Well, you, you certainly succeeded at that. Uh, as you describe uh, how you went about that, it's abundantly clear from anybody who's either read the novel or listened to what you just said that this doesn't happen overnight, that this is likely to be the result of versions and versions and drafts and drafts of of a novel. Uh, you mentioned that you that this is not entirely a COVID novel because this is something you had in your brain earlier than that and you were working on. Uh, how many years do you figure it took for a remarkably bright creatures to get to the book stand? Oh, gosh. I mean, by one measure, if you go from the inception of the the idea of this octopus character to an actual finished draft that I was sending off to agents, I mean, it was years. I don't know, six or seven years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you sort of go from the point where uh, I actually sat myself down in, in kind of a Cameron-like way and said, <laughs> hey, if you're going to do this, you need to you need to actually do it. You know, stop thinking about it and 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 going in fits and starts and just actually do it. And, you know, t- to be candid, like that coincided with some other things in my life. You know, my I had both of my children during this six or seven year period. So there were times when I was much more focused on being a parent than writing a novel and you know, I think my youngest was just going off to preschool at this time in, you know, 2018 or 19, when I decided to sit myself down and have the talk about getting more serious. So, you know, it's sort of a combination, I think, of, of you know, life, getting a little, having a little bit more space for creativity and writing and work. And, you know, just again, like reading Sai's book and Simon Montgomery's book, Soul of an Octopus, and kind of having a renewed fascination with the topic that had fascinated me so much years before. So, you know, by what that one measure, it's like several years. By another measure, it probably was more like, you know, a, a year of serious work to mm-hmm. get it uh, to the point where mm-hmm. I could query it to agents. Do you think there's a certain regimen and a confidence that you've built up by writing this novel that'll make it a lot easier for you to write your second novel, and I sure hope there's going to be at least a second novel. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I think. Um, you know, I don't know that the that the imposter syndrome ever goes away for any author. <laughs> um, you know, having had the wonderful opportunity over the last year and a half to meet other authors, some of whom are much more far along their career path than I am. And, you know, you hear the same exact things about, well, there's some days where I wake up and, you know, I just think it's all garbage. Anything that I write is bad. And, you know, I think we always have that. And so I, you know, I still struggle with that. Like that has not gone away. And in some ways, I feel like future writing is a little bit harder because now there's this expectation. There's a whole community of wonderful readers who want to read whatever I write next. And, you know, I don't want to let them down. Um, and on the other hand, it has absolutely been transformative for me, you know, professionally and personally to to be one of the very lucky few people who can say, hey, I've got this goal and I'm going to do it. 
you know, and, and then actually do it and be, be here talking to someone like you today. It's just, uh, I, I do have a lot of, a lot of pride in that, even through my moments of self-doubt. Sure. Well, I hope your editor is hounding you, <laughs> keep, <laughs> keeping you on track here. Do you have an idea for another novel? Yeah, I'm working on a second novel. I am still sort of in that, in the phase of figuring out where the story is going to go. I'm, I'm not what you would call a plotter. I'm more what we call a pantser, if you're familiar with the term. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go by the seat of your pants right. rather than making an outline. And so I am pantsing my way through the sort of first act of this second novel, you know, which really for me, I think is the hardest to to get the shape of what of what's going to come. Um, you know, and maybe that's another reason why I spent so many years sort of working on the very, very first chapters of Remarkably Bright Creatures. Mm-hmm. And then once I sat down, once I had that and kind of sat down and put my mind to it, the rest of it was easier because mm. I had some idea of where it was going. But um, I really envy writers who can sit down and write an outline. I have tried and I don't know, my brain just doesn't seem to work that way. So so in other words, what you're saying is, and this is very common uh, response I get from authors, is that uh, you don't always know where this where this is going that you, you maybe you didn't know where this particular uh, plot would wind up uh, as you sat down to write it over the years. I did not know. I, yeah. I knew one thing when I started out and I say this in a way that's not spoilery. I sort of knew how I, I had a vision of how um, Marcellus's journey would end. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I stayed true to that vision throughout the whole book, mm-hmm. but the, you know the rest of it, all of the human characters, all of the, all of the elements of mystery, yeah. and just the, the the scenes and how that took shape. Really, I figured it out as I was writing it, and I made a lot of a lot of wrong turns. Uh, there is a lot of material that ended up on the cutting room floor because mm-hmm. I would go down a path and then, you know, get three or four chapters down that path and realize it's the wrong path. You've got to then back up you know, throw most of that away and start over. It's definitely not the most efficient way to write a novel, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's what I can do. So, <laughs> you know, you know, I was, uh, one of those restaurant uh, goers who would occasionally order the octopus from the, uh, hors d'oeuvres or whatever was being <laughs> served, uh, until I read Cy Montgomery's book, the soul of an octopus. And that took, uh, octopus off of my menu and diet for good. Um, this book, uh, in a sense, I mean, I think it does the same thing for me in that it gives me an appreciation for an animal that has been misunderstood, not understood at all. And um, we live at a, at a time when um, Lolita or Tokite, the uh, Orca whale that was held in captivity for over 50 years in Miami has died uh, of uh, health conditions that were probably brought on by the Sea Aquarium in Miami. And um, it's the time when I think we need people, whether they're novelists or nonfiction writers, uh, to speak up and speak out. And in a very subtle fashion, you have done that with this. And I guess I just have to ask the question – are there going to be any animals in your next novel? Are you are you using that maybe as the Shelby Van Pelt theme, or is it time to move on and do something entirely different? 
Um, there, there are creatures in the second novel. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I want to write another animal book, at least not right away. Yeah. But, you know, I will say that the overarching theme of sort of curiosity about our natural world and, you know, perhaps a reverence for our natural world and, you know, the world outside of, of human beings and, and respect for that is, is absolutely a theme, you know, in Remarkably Bright Creatures and, and will be a theme in this next book in, in a slightly different way. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I've heard from a lot of readers that they have stopped eating octopus after, after reading the book. And, you know, I don't eat go. octopus myself. So yeah. it's a small thing, but I think anything that makes, makes people a little bit more curious or compassionate about the world around them is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Very well put. Well, I can't tell you, again, I guess I have already told you how much I enjoyed this book, and I want to thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, Reader's Corner is an opportunity for our listeners uh, to get some good advice on where to go for their next read, and your book, uh, Remarkably Bright Creatures, is definitely, definitely should be the next stop for readers who are wondering where they're going next. Shelby Van Pelt. Thanks for joining us today at Reader's Corner, the author of Remarkably Bright Creatures. Thank you for having me. Reader's Corner is presented by Boise State Public Radio News. The engineer for today's show is Eric Jones, with production by Joel Wayne. I'm Bob Kustra. Please join me next week as we talk to today's leading writers about the ideas and issues that help shape our world at Reader's Corner. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.